0: That's BlueNile.com. This is
1: my opinion, and I'm going to seek my approval. Do I approve of
0: me? Love doesn't have any expectations. It doesn't seek something in return. It gives because it wants to. At our core, all of us have these feelings of being unlovable and inadequate. And until we start to care for... Those parts of ourselves, we can't really have the outer successes that we long for.
1: Does money buy you intuition, insight, creativity, higher vision, transcendence? No. Money does buy you pleasure, and pleasure is good, but it's not enough.
0: We need fulfillment. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a show to help you pause, relax, reflect, and be curious. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie a best-selling author and entrepreneur exploring the human experience. I interview world-leading thinkers, shaping ideas around the mind, health, spirituality, philosophy, and culture. I'm often reminded that thoughts become things, so we need to choose the good ones. I hope this show helps you to do that too. On today's podcast, I'm speaking to Dr. Shazia Malik, She's one of the leading consultant, obstetrician and gynaecologists in London and an expert in reproductive medicine and surgery. Dr. Malik graduated with honours and she undertook training in Cambridge, where she was also a research fellow and attended the Distinguished University College Hospital in London, where she gained accreditation in reproductive medicine and surgery. She continued her work at King's College Hospital and went on to work across several leading hospitals, including becoming an IVF consultant. With extensive experience in the arena of reproductive health and fertility, I was thrilled to sit down with Dr. Shazia to ask her some important questions about the things we should really know but most commonly don't. Over the past year, I've dived into the topic of fertility, driven by my own personal up and down journey with it, and at every point, I've just been mind-blown over what I didn't know and realized that I probably wasn't alone in not knowing some really basic biological facts. Women's health has largely been underfunded and overlooked, and so it's not surprising so many people are left with lots of gaps in their basic understanding on biological processes and what could disrupt them. I hope you're enjoying this content, and I realize this is slightly different from the normal chats on this podcast, but it has been piquing my curiosity too much to not share with you all. Enjoy. Why did you choose this area of medicine to begin with? I mean, for me, when I was at
1: medical school, I started off not knowing exactly which field I wanted to go into. And then when I did two attachments in obstetrics and gynaecology, in those days, I mean, I qualified 30 years ago and we had to be resident on call for, I think, two months each time. And so you got a real feel of it. you got a feel of the joy, you know, the excitement. But Nothing compares really. The thing about obs and gynae is that you get to do lots of different specialties within one. So I treat women before they get pregnant with problems around puberty, menopause, hormones. And then I have the joy of pregnancy and birth. And then you get psychology, medicine. It's everything really. And then When I did my exams, I got the gold medal in Obzangaini. I thought, yes, it must be. This is my calling. (laughs) This is my
0: calling, and I've been doing it ever since. So you meet tons of men and women on a daily basis. What shocks you most about what people don't know about their fertility? I mean, nothing shocks me now uh, because I've
1: seen it for so long. I think that despite so much information being out there now about things that can impact your fertility and particularly for women, how it declines over time, it's still quite shocking that people are unaware of how different factors can influence their fertility and reduce it and how hoping rather than being proactive about it sometimes doesn't lead to what you want, which is a healthy, happy baby.
0: Why do you think that is? Because I do really understand that kind of ostrich approach. You know, as women, I think we kind of want to put our heads in the sand and just hope it's going to be okay. And obviously, we hear fantastic stories about it being okay. And then obviously, people come to you. Do you have a kind of philosophy as to why we are in this moment of not wanting to know so much about our fertility? I think it's becoming more and more complicated for women. In the past, women,
1: it was very much, you get married fairly young, have children. If you can fit a career around it, you would. And that was that. I mean, my philosophy is, as women... I think far too much is expected of us. Mm -hmm. And society is expecting us to have a successful, fulfilling career, to travel, to get educated. Everything has to be about enjoying your 20s and 30s whilst you're building your career, but also to have a family, to have the perfect family, to manage that and your home, manage your children home and work. And I think expectations have swung from one extreme to another and there has to be a happy middle ground. And because there's so many pressures on women these days, I can't blame them for having an ostrich approach. How many things do you think about and deal with at once? So Everyone's life journey is different. I think my job is to inform, to support and try and help people think about it when they're ready. Being proactive sometimes can mean doing a fertility test, can't it? Mm -hmm. But I get people coming to me for fertility screens and the discussion I have with them is, is... well, there's lots of different facets to it. But some of the things to think about are a fertility screen is a snapshot in time. Mm. And that doesn't guarantee that if it's normal at that point, that it will remain so. Secondly, fertility depends on two individuals. If you're a heterosexual relationship or as a woman you know even if you're going to use donor sperm for example it depends not only on what your body is doing but what the sperm is doing as well and you may or may not have thought about that and the other thing is doing a fertility test or a fertility screen is not actually hard to do but you've got to prepare yourself for the results so I always Mm. speak to women, couples, when they come, is that I can understand why you might want to do this. But what will you do with the results if they're not what you were expecting? If they're unexpectedly bad, for example, and show that your fertility is compromised in any way, what is your plan to do with those results? Do you believe in assisted conception? Do you have the resources to do it? Are you both on the same page? Within a couple, both of you have to want a child at the same time.
0: These are all just such interesting points to reflect on. And anecdotally Mm. speaking, I did exactly that, went for a fertility test and obviously got the results I wasn't hoping for, which is you have compromised fertility. But, you know, when I think to myself why, something that you just mentioned became very clear to me, which is the impact stress has on fertility and I think you speak so clearly about the expectations on women. High expectations inevitably lead to enormous amounts of psychological stress. And I definitely think that's affected me. But what do you think are the main factors affecting fertility? And I would love your opinion on... Why does stress affect fertility? So no one knows exactly why it affects it. There are various
1: theories and we know, for example, that stress can affect your hormones. So there's good evidence that if you have a major life event which is traumatic, for example, losing a loved one or having some really bad news for whatever reason, you will have had friends, colleagues who've suddenly stopped their periods. So we know that psychological stress, particularly extreme stress, affects our hormonal balance as women. And when it does that, usually it's temporary. So often your periods will stop as the source of stress gets better or as you deal with the stress in whatever way is helpful. It's quite common for your hormonal cycle, you know, your balance, your cycles to resume. But for some women, stress is a underlying chronic problem. There are things that are not within your control and that affects hormones. It affects your stress hormone levels as well. And stress hormones will affect your female hormones. So it's it's actually quite complicated. But we know that stress hormones can affect your hormonal balance. It can then affect you releasing eggs. It can affect your periods. In terms of does it bring on the menopause earlier than might have happened mm-hmm. otherwise, I don't think there's enough scientific evidence for that. There's definitely anecdotal evidence for that. For example, having premature menopause or having what we call premature ovarian insufficiency is multifactorial. It may be genetic. Most of the time it's unexplained. Sometimes stress may have brought it on
0: perhaps earlier than than it might have happened otherwise, but it's complicated. So I'm very interested in why the stress hormones would affect fertility. What is happening when someone Is going through prolonged stress for whatever reason, or maybe it's an intense period of stress. How does that affect? the ovaries, for example. So it's not just affecting your ovaries. So your hormonal system inside your
1: body is called your endocrine system. And you've got lots of hormones that affect your ovaries or your what we call hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. So your hormones, how they are balanced, it all originates in the brain. So you've got your hypothalamus Gland, which then stimulates your pituitary, which in turn then stimulates your ovaries to release eggs or release different hormones. And your hypothalamus and pituitary, but they also secrete things like prolactin, your thyroid hormones, and what we call different steroids. And some of the steroids are are what we call stress hormones. So cortisol is a stress hormone. And we know that people who are chronically or acutely stress, release more cortisol. And cortisol affects the cells around your ovaries. It will affect the balance around the eggs in the follicles in your ovaries and can stop you releasing them more regularly, or it can affect the quality of the eggs. So if we put stress aside for a moment, women with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, we know that they're more likely to get diabetes. They they have an innate insulin resistance or quite an of them will, and a weight then affects your insulin resistance. If you're stressed, you're likely to eat differently. That will then affect your insulin and cortisol levels. So the balance between all these different hormones is what affects not only the quality of the eggs that you release, but the balance of your hormones and therefore you may not release eggs as often, which is why you then either stop your periods or have irregular cycles. I'm trying to explain this in lay terms. Which we really appreciate. Your audience (laughs) is not scientific. So it's really, I think the word I would use, the balance of your different hormones is exquisitely and very precisely regulated and it doesn't take much if the balance tips one way in one particular part of your endocrine system for then it to affect the rest of you. And as a woman, you are not just your ovaries, your tube, uterus, and cervix, and vagina. You're not just those organs. Whatever happens to those organs, and in particular your ovaries, is very much dependent on what's going on in the rest of you. And of course, some people would say the most powerful organ in the body is the brain, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever's going on
0: up here will affect your hormonal balance. I think what kind of has surprised me most in the past year since I've been on this fertility journey, and, you know, I'm not even planning for a baby, so this is very premature in kind of, you know, life plans, but it's the first time I've really realized the idea of ovary health that you just mentioned there. We have this kind of HPA access, but when I've heard about the HPA access before, it's just been, oh, the brain and the gut, and no one has added on, oh, and by the way, this also affects your ovaries. And so I feel that ovarian health has, education has kind of fallen off the general conversation, especially around stress, which is really interesting. And the men have. It's, it's interesting you say it's fallen
1: off, but the question is, has it ever been there? Yes. Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So I'm not sure it's ever been there. So the only. If you look back over the last 20 years, for example, the main discussion has been about your ovaries aging mm. and therefore warning women that we know that your fertility declines in your 30s it, more steeply after 35 than 37 and especially after 40. But of course, there are a group of women whose ovarian function will decline more steeply earlier than that, for example, in the journey that you've been on. Mm. So we've been talking about women aging and fertility, Mm -hmm. but that hasn't actually included necessarily ovarian health per se, and what might affect it.
0: And I think it's great that you're trying to have that conversation now. Some people say that the reason why stress affects our ovarian health, and I kind of want to ask you whether you agree with this, because I feel that this can become so simple that actually it lacks all scientific credibility. But the idea that in historic times, if we were very stressed, our body assumed that we were running away from danger, and as a consequence, our ovarian health was just not a priority for the body. So, of course, the ovaries in some ways... Switch off. We're focusing on key organs and the body doesn't see that as a key organ. Or, for example, we wouldn't be able to, if we were in high modes of stress, we wouldn't be able to look after a vulnerable child. So again, the human body adapted to be less reproductively healthy.
1: I mean, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. But as I said before, I think it's far more complicated than that. And I don't think the scientific evidence is there for that. And what I would counter that argument with is that there are lots of Stress people who do get pregnant, yeah to put it all down to stress is is simplifying it too much in my opinion. Uh, what I see when I see couples for fertility counseling or testing is that what stress does do is stop you having sex, and if you 're not having sex you 're not going to get pregnant, so I see lots of couples who are working so hard they 're very stressed, and um, you know having sex. Every other day, which is what you need to do to give yourself the best chance of conceiving naturally, is another task. And sometimes you're just too exhausted. And so we spend time talking about how to reduce stress or having sex in the mornings rather than when you're both exhausted in the evening, that kind of thing. So I think stress is, is one of many different factors. And you were talking about running away, for example. So we know that women who run a lot mm. or run excessively switch off their HPO, axis because running, your body mass and various other factors will actually also switch off that axis, which is why in lockdown, I saw lots more women who stopped their periods because they took up running. I'm one of those people. So it's very, very common. You know, suddenly lots of women were running a lot and they were a lot thinner. So we know that BMI affects your hormonal balance as well. So we were well aware that women who are very overweight and classified as obese, for example, if your BMI is over 30, that then increases your insulin resistance, you know, affects your hormonal balance. You have irregular periods and that's where PCOS comes into it as well. But I think there's a lot of women who aren't necessarily aware that being underweight affects your hormonal balance really quite significantly as well. And When you talk about stress, that may contribute to eating disorders. So I've seen lots of women with a history of eating disorders. So chronic malnutrition, chronically being underweight will also switch off your hormonal balance. So coming back to the stress question, Mm. if it affects your weight, if it affects your insulin levels, if it affects various other things in your body, it will also switch off your ovaries in that regard.
0: I just wish there was more education around this, especially when women are in their teenage years, because I feel like I was really vulnerable to eating disorders in your teenage years. Because you're looking at these ideals, again, expectations, perfection, all of those things. But to have more awareness around these like, you know, how delicate our bodies are and this like HPO axis, which you know the first time I'm hearing about it is today it's just crazy how delicate we are we really are I mean
1: we're very strong as women in so many different ways but our body and the way it regulates itself and balances all the different functions that it has to perform is really delicately balanced and it doesn't take a huge amount to tip it one way or the other And therefore being kind to yourself, both mentally, emotionally and physically is such a key part of your hormonal health as a woman.
0: I was reading the other day that when people are pregnant, malnutrition is a public health crisis. And there's a a huge percentage of women, I can't remember exactly what it is now, that are lacking key nutrients and minerals, which obviously have a huge impact on fetal development. What are the key deficiencies you find in patients that are probably quite unaware before you check them? So when we talk about this question, it's it's really important for us
1: to discuss what kind of setting we're talking about. Because as women in the United Kingdom or in the West, I think we're far more privileged than the majority of women who live outside our collective consciousness. So for us to see women in the UK who are severely deficient in nutrients is relatively uncommon, especially because most women, as soon as they become pregnant, start taking a multivitamin. So when we have that discussion, I think it's really important to look at global health and malnutrition. Mm. So are you asking me about women in the UK or women all
0: over the world? Because it's a completely different discussion. If we focus on women in the UK, because I think that's what most shocked me, because you assume, wow, what a privileged country, especially in in America too. You've got access to food in a different way. And yet, even in these very privileged countries, you're still seeing malnutrition. Yeah, so we don't see proper malnutrition very often, but it's more likely to be in women with eating
1: disorders and especially in women who are economically and socially deprived. And often when we look at this thing, for example, the government had a survey recently asking women to contribute to women's health policy in the UK. They've had two so far. And they did at least the last one online and if I had a look at the first one, which was I think in 2019, and if you look at that survey, the majority of respondents were middle class white and in the southeast. So when we look at women's health policy in this country, and if we're looking at malnutrition, for example, we need to be reaching women, especially post-COVID, you know, with the current economic crisis that people are going through, the cost of living crisis, you're not going to be going out to the supermarket or boots and buying expensive multivitamins. Totally. So those women in particular for me are important. Women from ethnic minorities are important, especially if they don't speak English. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're more likely to be economically and socially deprived and live in areas of deprivation. So they will be short in particular of things like folic acid, vitamin B12 and vitamin D. So vitamin D is a hormone that I spend a lot of time talking to my patients about because it's part of our immune regulation in our body it's crucial for our bones it's crucial for our babies when we're pregnant so vitamin D i find a lot of women are have lower levels and i would routinely check it when they come either planning pregnancy or early in pregnancy it's super super important it's very important for women with PCOS because your gut health as well as vitamin D, which modulates your immune system. So your immune system is very important for your hormonal health, which is actually, coming back to your questions about stress, we know that stress affects our immunity. yeah. And if your immune system is compromised that affects hormone health it may affect your gut health gut health is intimately linked to our hormonal health and vitamin d is a key part of that so it's really quite important to talk about vitamin d folic acid we know affects uh, your risk of having a baby with spina bifida so that's super important even though bread and cereals are fortified with it you still meet women who are deficient and then I mean we can talk about micronutrients but the majority of women in UK have healthy pregnancies and aren't particularly deficient in in lots of stuff particularly I think we'll talk about fertility and micronutrients in a minute
0: yeah let's move on to that fertility and micronutrients what are you seeing kind of the correlation between the two. There's quite
1: emerging data about this now. So I talk to women about BPA, so what we find in plastics. Oh my God. like What what we find in (gasps) our water, what we eat. You know, lots of people don't realise that actually smoking cannabis can affect fertility, can affect your eggs, can affect your sperm. Alcohol. So there's loads of data now that post-COVID... In fact, even pre-COVID, women in the UK are European leaders on the amount of alcohol that they drink. And we know that that affects your health, it affects your hormones. It may well affect your fertility. And for sure, if you drink in pregnancy, it will affect your baby. So I think we need to talk about BPA. We need to talk about Plastics in general. We need to talk about what we're doing to our water. We need to talk about mercury levels, different metals, you know, like cadmium, for example. As with anything, what we put in to our bodies inevitably will affect what's going on inside. And there's no way our eggs and our ovaries would be different to anywhere else. Of course, they'll be affected by what we eat, what we drink and what we
0: inhale or smoke. I am shocked by two things that you mentioned that I have just started really going into quite a lot of research in, which is firstly the water and our fertility. I am horrified when you, I think it was this year that the um, a body, a scientific body found that our tap water that I have been drinking religiously, of course. Yes. And we're thinking that we're doing, you know, it's a good thing for the planet to be drinking tap water over, you know, anything else. But... There's actually quite a lot of dangerous chemicals in the water that isn't being filtered out that it's affecting our fertility. Well, also in the UK, there's lots of recent data that our water perhaps is not as good as in other countries. Do you know what particular chemicals in the water that are, you know, more dangerous than others? So I was talking about certain
1: metals, trace metals, such as cadmium hormones in the water. There's a lot of um, discussion over the last 10, 15 years because more women have been on the pill and therefore there's more estrogen in the water. Is that affecting men's sperm? Big studies haven't been done. But what's in the water is, again, what we put in our bodies comes out you know our kidneys our water system is taking away whatever our bodies get rid of and so our kidneys process hormones and metals our liver does and so does our gut
0: so all sorts of different substances are likely to be having an effect I actually read that something like 80,000 lines of cocaine are found in the Thames every day. And that also then can be found in our water supply. Exactly. And in fact, uh, people are using banknotes less now, but they're covered in coke. What I take away in this conversation is actually quite positive, is actually how incredibly connected we all are and actually what one person does has an effect on another and it just actually shows how wonderful human beings are in terms of like you know we are this very close-knit species but also what's shocking about it is that what one person does also can negatively affect another. It can do but what I don't want
1: us to do as women is become paranoid about stuff Mm. you know I think most important in our lives is what we do to ourselves. Mm. rather than spending too much time worrying about how what other people are doing and I'm talking specifically in the context of health Mm. uh, not generally so I think for me as a woman we should focus on the things that we can change in our lives to impact our own personal health and also to take ownership of it so not just now but actually so that we can future-proof our health
0: What do you do? What kind of water do you drink? Do you like filter it or, you know, what what can we do as a preventative measure to? So I filter all our
1: water at home. I've really been conscious about plastic in the home, what I store my food in, what I warm it in. So, not warming food in plastic containers, buying more glass or crockery that you can put in the fridge and put in your freezer. And all of this is partly teaching my kids to be more environmentally aware. But I have two daughters and we talk about this. So that's what I've changed. Um, I'm very selective about the supplements that I take and where they may come from. I spend a lot of time talking to women and to my daughters about vaginal health. So the vaginal microbiome. I don't
0: know, have you read much about that? I really haven't, so I'd love to be. So let's talk be, about yeah, it because it's yeah, one of my like, yes. it's <laughs> one of my passions. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: So if we're saying that gut health affects hormone health, why would our vaginal health not impact our general health? as well. So your vagina is actually quite an amazing organ. So we, because we don't talk about it much and we're not taught about it, just think of our vagina really as a means of either getting pregnant, of having to deal with periods, so blood when it comes out, or for sexual pleasure. But actually your your vagina is a port of entrance to your Internal organs. So we don't think about it that way. So we know our mouth is a port of entrance. We know our back passage is a form of exit, isn't it? Yeah. But your vagina is a direct form of communication through your cervix, through your womb, and then your fallopian tubes to your pelvis and your abdominal cavity. That's how you get pregnant because when you release an egg, your fallopian tubes pick up the egg. The sperm has come through the cervix and they meet in the fallopian tube and fertilise. So we're communicating with our pelvis through our vagina. So your vagina, a healthy vagina, has millions and millions of bacteria. And the purpose of those bacteria is not just to keep your vagina healthy and clean, but it's to try and protect you from STIs or it's to actually benefit your fertility. So if you've ever monitored your vaginal discharge through a menstrual cycle, you'll notice that in different parts of your cycle, your discharge changes we don't get taught this. Mm. We don't get taught that it's actually normal to have vaginal discharge and how does it change through your menstrual cycle. So, for example, you'll notice when you're ovulating, it's thinner and more watery. And that's to facilitate the sperm going through the cervix. The rest of the time it will be thicker. It's there to protect you from STIs. It's also there to protect you from getting thrush or BV. And when we upset, the balance of the healthy bacteria in your vagina, you then will get an abnormal discharge. You're more likely to get STIs. And actually, so I'm I'm a UK medical director of a, a company that is now using tampons to look at your vaginal microbiome. And the purpose for that is then we're now talking about how your vaginal microbiome is altered in conditions like endometriosis, PCOS and infertility. It must be linked because that's where the sperm is going to meet the egg. So looking after your vaginal health is another gift you give yourself as a woman to your
0: overall health. Do you encourage probiotics for balancing vaginal microbiome or do you think that's just marketing to women, no, I
1: do encourage it. I don't think it's marketing, but I always say to women, you don't actually have to spend lots of money to improve your vaginal microbiome. So, if you want a healthy vagina, you should take more yogurt without sweeteners, you should have kimchi. What you put in your gut affects your vaginal microbiome as well. So, I Try and stop my women using intimate hygiene products. Mm. We know that affects your balance. You shouldn't be douching. Your vagina is a self-cleaning organ. If you get chronically constipated, that will actually predispose gut bacteria to go into your vagina. I try and encourage women to wear cotton underwear. You've got to not wear underwear at night. You've got to set yourself free. (laughs) I'm always telling my daughters this, you know, because I don't know, it's a protective measure. So a lot of women from being a little girl have worn panties at night. Mm. And actually, if you're wearing panties at night, your anus is very near your vagina. Mm. So any bacteria around there, gut bacteria like E. coli, at night have a really warm, cozy environment to migrate through your panties and go to your vagina. Don't wear panties at night. Wash them at 60 degrees so that you kill off those gut bacteria and you kill off thrush as well. Yeah. yeah. Wash with soap around your anus when you open your bowels, but the rest of the time, wash your vulva only with warm water. Also, people with recurrent thrush or BV, you know, What is full of lactobacilli, so the healthy bacteria, lactobacilli, so live, plain, organic yogurt. Did you know if you put that on a tampon every day in your vagina for six hours for a week, you're massively boosting your healthy bacteria, you're realigning the balance Did you know that having lots of baths with too much soap and lots of different oils will affect your vaginal bacteria? So you've got to cut those as well. There's so many different things that stress will affect, again, your bacterial balance. So there's so
0: much you can do to improve your vaginal health, which is good for your overall health. It shocks me that probably half the things you've just said there I didn't know, you know, now's a 33-year-old woman who's interested even in this, you know, so God knows how many people that, you know, didn't know even more than that. I'm fortunate that I have a job that enables me to be interested, but if I didn't have this job and was doing something else, then you know, we're just so overloaded with things that we need to know about that so many critical subjects like this just get deprioritized and quite rightfully or naturally or like, I understand why they would when you're trying to spin a million plates. It's something I saw online. And again, you know, I think TikTok is really spreading a lot of misinformation about health. It's, It's not just TikTok, it's all social media. It's my biggest bugbear these days. You know, I saw this male doctor telling women to cut out all dairy if they want to reduce heavy periods. Where did that come from? Right. And, you know, he's standing at these medical conferences and I ended up watching like three videos of his. And I thought, this just goes counter to everything you've just you know, shared?
1: So some dairy, particularly in our home, we have organic dairy. So organic milk, eggs and yogurts. simply because I'm very conscious of the fact that farm animals, chickens, cows are injected full of different hormones. I don't think there's any evidence that you, your whole diet needs to be organic, which is also extraordinarily expensive. Yeah. But organic dairy, for sure, I think is a positive step to your general health. But I've just said you should have some dairy. So it's how much you have and not just what you have, isn't it? It's all about balance. The Mediterranean diet is a very healthy diet generally. But when we talk about alcohol, alcohol's full of sugar. Mm. So if you drink lots of alcohol, you're going to wipe out healthy gut bacteria, but you're also pumping yourself full of sugar and that will increase your problems in terms of balance with insulin and cortisol which can therefore affect your eggs and your health as a woman. So it's all about not just how much we have but what we have but being sensible and doing what you can. There's one supplement I'm a huge fan of for menstrual cramps and for sleep for women especially if you're finding that difficult it's magnesium. Really? It's fantastic. So it's great for perimenopausal health. Uh, It really helps you sleep better. It's a natural way of aiding sleep and most adults are short of magnesium. Uh, But two things I'm a real fan of, if you can afford them, are magnesium supplements and acupuncture. Why acupuncture? So acupuncture, there's data on acupuncture and stress. So we know that it balances stress and therefore stress hormones. We also know that if you have acupuncture, if you're having IVF, and especially at the time of embryo transfer, it increases implantation rates. It really helps to balance hormones. So if you go to a good practitioner who's not giving you various different herbs that may or may not be beneficial, and definitely don't take Chinese herbs if you're having IVF, because they interact with the drugs that you're having. But a good experienced acupuncturist can be a godsend. And magnesium affects muscle function. And why do you get period cramps? It's because your uterus is a muscle. So it contracts. And when it contracts, you get period cramps. And being short of magnesium can affect that. It's got to be part of what you can fit in to your life. So whenever I have a discussion about women's health, it's got to be in the context of an individual woman herself. So her circumstances, economic, social, work, where she is at in her life, you know, so you've got to look at the whole woman when you talk about anything to do with her health, I think.
0: Just going back to women's underwear, because obviously it's so close to the vagina, obviously, naturally. Is there some materials that actually have been found to be unhealthy or detrimental to females' health? So, again, there's not a lot of data on this, but I can tell you that
1: some of the women I see, for example, with recurrent thrush or BV, wear lots of lycra and do lots of exercise. Mm. And so, I talk to them about wearing loose clothes when they're exercising, trying to wear only cotton, changing as soon as you leave the gym, So, you know, washing away the sweat, but not using too many scented or soapy products. So, of course, I mean, if you wear lots of G-strings, for example, again, your G-string is... Right next to your anus. And I've been talking about gut bacteria. So, your vagina, which is right next to your anus, you know, it's only a few centimeters away, will be exposed to those bugs. And of course, if you're wearing lots of very pretty polyester nylon underwear, you can't wash it at 60 degrees. Mm. And therefore, you're not going to get rid of the bacteria. So, for recurrent thrush, one of the key things is wearing cotton underwear and washing it at high temperature separate to your other clothes. And if you feel, for example, sometimes you may have to do lots of exercise because you might be a personal trainer, Mm -hmm. but then you need to be really conscious of how much you're sweating, how you're looking after your intimate
0: health at the same time. If you could sit down with any 21 year old to tell them one thing about their reproductive health, what would it be? It would be about knowing as much about your body as you
1: possibly can, asking all the questions and then doing what you can to protect your overall and reproductive health. So it's
0: learn, find out, and then practice it. And if you preserve your fertility, are you also helping, or as a woman, keeping your reproductive life for as long as possible well you might be
1: but there's so many different things that can affect it that you may not be but taking ownership of it is the biggest
0: gift you can give yourself dr malik thank you so much for today's interview i cannot tell you how much i appreciate it and you're just such an amazing educator in the way that you communicate so we're so grateful to have you here and your amazing work in the field thank you so much Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today, please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much. I'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so. My mental health book, Happy Not Perfect, is available to order now. The book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker, a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you. So do shoot me a message on Instagram. Send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well.